to the podcast, An Intelligent Look at Terrorism. I'm your host, Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada. I want to talk about something today which may not have caught crossed your radar an awful lot over the past couple of years. When we talk about terrorism, terrorism is a phenomenon. We know that we here in Canada are relatively safe. We don't have a lot of terrorist attacks that take place here. Other Western countries seem to get a little more, such as the UK and France, for example. But I think that for most of my listeners, when we mention the word terrorism, I'm pretty sure the first thing that comes to mind would be the Middle East or Afghanistan, other parts of Asia. In actual fact, one of the hot spots of terrorism, if I can use that term, is the entire continent of Africa. Yeah, yeah, the entire continent. I've been watching this for quite some time for a variety of reasons. As a terrorism analyst, I had to keep up on, on things. As a Canadian terrorist analyst, there are some interesting links between Canadians and terrorism on that continent. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought that I'd like to do this podcast, a little longer podcast, on just what is the state of terrorism in Africa as of the spring of 2020. Let's start with the bad news. It ain't good. There are dozens of groups that are active across the continent. The vast majority of them are Islamist extremists in nature, ergo the jihadis, the thing that I focused most on in my professional career and mostly in my so-called retirement. There are other types of violence in Africa, but they're not terrorism. Again, using my Good old definition drawn from the Canadian Criminal Code, where terrorism is a serious act of violence perpetrated for political, ideological, or religious reasons. So when you look at some of the violence in Eastern Congo, for example, most of that's not terrorism. That's just groups who don't like each other. Groups that are getting in on the drug trade or the the illegal mining trade, for example. Some of the violence in Nigeria and Western Africa is between ethnic groups. There's a famous long-running battle between Farmers and herders, people who farm for a living and people who have cattle. And it's a fight for land. It's a fight for resources. That's not terrorism either. But a lot of the violence is terrorism in nature. So for the, for this podcast, I'm going to give you a tour d'horizon of the African continent, making a couple of stops here and there in various countries, and talk about which groups are active and what they've been up to of late. I'm going to go in a counterclockwise direction beginning in, in East Africa. And there's no real reason for that. Other than the fact that by starting in Mozambique, a country that went through its own civil war for several decades, but is not one that we normally associate with terrorism, and that's been changing over the past couple of years. In actual fact, Islamist extremists have been active in the northern region of uh, Cabo Delgado for about 25 years now, and uh, so far... They've killed at least 300 people, although some estimates range as high as 1,000, with as many as between 100 and 200,000 people have fled the region. The main group calls itself Al-Shabaab, which has no link to the Al-Shabaab you're probably more familiar with, which is in Somalia, and we'll get to them in a couple of minutes. Although Islamic State itself announced that it had created its what it calls its Central African province in April 2019, and the local affiliate in Mozambique calls itself Ansar al-Sunnah. Islamist terrorists have been behind beheading people, 
And most importantly, from the Mozambique economic perspective, they've been threatening a huge offshore gas project, which if it comes about will mean a big difference for a very impoverished country. ISCAP, the Islamic State Central African Province, allegedly shot down a Mozambican military helicopter in April, and that led some analysts to suggest that it was becoming more sophisticated. The military, for its part, denies that the terrorists control any territory at all, and that it killed 129 what it calls militants in in April. He said, she said, I mean, the, the terrorists lie, but sometimes the governments don't tell the absolute truth either. Speaking of April, in April, one of the groups declared that its goal was the establishment of a caliphate. Now, where have you heard that before? Ah, Islamic State in Iraq in 2014. Just over the last week or so, Mozambique's armed forces have killed more than 50 Islamic State-linked terrorists. And those terrorists have launched 11 attacks in this month, this month alone. This is the month of May. So despite the fact the government seems to be dismissing the threat, from terrorists, they've gone ahead and hired foreign security contractors. Hmm, what does that sound like? These guys come from Russia, United States, and South Africa, i.e. they're mercenaries, and they want them to help crush their rebellion. But so far, there has not been any success to date. So Mozambique is a place to watch. I'm, I'm hearing more and more and reading more and more about attacks in that country over the past couple of years. And so this is one that you definitely want to bookmark to keep an eye on. Moving slightly north and slightly west, we get to the Democratic Republic of the Congo, where we know that violence has been endemic for the better part of 30 or 40 years. Again, a lot of it's due to illegal mining like cobalt. But there is a terrorist group called the Allied Democratic Forces. Boy, there's a name for a terrorist group, Allied Democratic Forces or ADF. They've been around since 1995, and they originally started out in Uganda, but they have a presence in the current, uh, the DRC, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and they've been carrying out attacks uh, quite some, quite a long time now in that part of the country. Forty of them were recently captured after a massacre in March, and there's another group, which is called CODECO, which stands for the Cooperative for the Development of Congo. And it's described as an armed political religious sect, uh, which draws mainly from the Lendu ethnic group. Now, Kodeko killed 22 civilians in April alone. So here we have two religious extremist groups, both fighting in eastern Congo. Continuing our travel north, we go to Somalia and Kenya. And of course, in Somalia... The group that you're undoubtedly most familiar with is Al-Shabaab, which was originally affiliated with Al-Qaeda. It's been around since the mid-2000s, and it came about when the Ethiopian government, uh, the behest, nudge-nudge, wink-wink of the Americans, decided to invade, to oust what was called the Islamic Courts Union, which was a very conservative, fundamentalist Islamic government. As usually happens when a foreign country invades another country, it pisses off the locals, and Al-Shabaab sprang from the ashes, I guess you'd say, of the Islamic Courts Union. And it's been responsible for tens of thousands of deaths in Somalia over the past 15 years. AMISOM, the Af- African Union mission in Somalia, has also been around since the mid-2000s. And currently, there are troops from Uganda, Burundi, Djibouti, Kenya, and Ethiopia in the country. Again, a foreign military presence 
may be seen as a partial solution to violence, but it also is the cause of violence. One of the biggest attacks that I recall uh, took place in October 2017 when Al-Shabaab carried out an attack in Mogadishu, and it was a suicide bomber, or it was a car bomb, I forget which one. Anyhow, a gas truck or a gas tanker ignited, and in the ensuing inferno, more than 300 people died, and another 300 were wounded in, in the Somali capital. Now, because Kenya has been a, at the vanguard of Amazon for a very long time, Al-Shabaab sees Kenya as a legitimate target. Now, northeastern Kenya, which borders up to Somalia, the ethnicities bleed across the two national borders. A lot of ethnic Somalis in northeastern Kenya. And Al-Shabaab has taken advantage of this to carry out attacks, some of which have been quite large in scale. For example, in April 2015, they attacked Garissa University, killing 148 largely students. In September 2013, they took over a mall, the Westgate Mall in Nairobi. They occupied it for a long time. They only killed six, but it was quite a shock to the the Kenyan economy. And lastly, in January of 2019, there was an attack on an office complex called the Dusit 2 complex in Nairobi, in which 22 were dead. So the situation in Somalia shows no signs of getting any better. This is despite the fact that the Somali National Army has gotten better, that Amazon's still there, and the fact that the Americans carry out drone strikes fairly frequently against Al-Shabaab. There's also, by the way, a very much smaller ISIS affiliate up in the Puntland, sort of in the Horn of Africa. You don't hear too much about them. Al-Shabaab is really the group which has had the greatest longevity and which is by far the most lethal in Somalia. Continuing up northward, we head up into Egypt. And the greatest threat to Egyptian public safety is Islamic State in the Sinai. This has been a group been around for a while. They carry out regular attacks against Egyptian troops. Egyptian troops carry out regular raids against IS in the Sinai. One of the most popular victims for ISIS in the Sinai are Coptic Christians. So Coptic Christians have been around in, in Egypt for millennia. And of course, if you're an ISIS guy, the only good Christian is a dead Christian as far as you're concerned. So a lot of Christian churches have been, been destroyed. A lot of Christian masses have been attacked by ISIS in the Sinai. This conflict seems to be ebbing a little bit. I don't read as much these days as I did a few years ago about attacks by IS in the Sinai, but it certainly is keeping the Egyptian military very, very busy. There's another actor that I have to talk about, at least very briefly. This probably merits a, a podcast on its own. But the Egyptian government of General Sisi, which overthrew the Morsi government a few years ago in a coup, Morsi was a member of the Muslim Brotherhood, Egypt calls the Muslim Brotherhood a terrorist group, as do some other countries. I don't go there. I don't think the MB Muslim Brotherhood is a terrorist group. But like I said, I think that it requires a lot more reasoning and argumentation to make that point. Let's just suffice to say for now that I don't see the Muslim Brotherhood as the primary terrorist threat uh, to Egypt. It is IS in the Sinai. Next to Egypt, of course, we have Libya. What can we say about Libya? Well, it's been a hellhole since the fall of Gaddafi. We all remember where we were when Gaddafi was found hiding in a drainage pipe. He was taken out and beaten to death by angry Libyans. Unfortunately, the country has been pretty well ungovernable since that time. There is a rump government in Tripoli called the General National Assembly. And there's also another actor called uh, General Khalifa Haftar 
who's the head of the national Libyan army. And the two of them have been basically lobbing shells against each other back and forth for the past couple of years. This isn't terrorism per se, but it certainly contributes to instability in the region. Complicating matters are there's all kinds of mercenaries being brought in. The Turks have brought in mercenaries. The Emiratis are there. The Americans are there. The French are there. This is not a good situation in Libya. And it basically precludes any uh, return to stability or normalcy anytime soon. Uh, there was an Islamic State branch in Libya that was apparently, quote unquote, defeated about in 2016. If you've heard me talk about this, you know, I don't like the word defeat of terrorist groups because it, it rarely makes any difference. In fact, this particular affiliate of ISIS came back in 2019. So was it really defeated? Yeah, not really. Next row, we have Tunisia, seen as the start of the Arab Spring back in 2011, seen as one of the better functioning democracies in the Arab world, seen as a tourist haven, seen as one of the more stable places. And it's true, but things aren't completely okay in Tunisia. There have been significant terrorist attacks in the country by Islamist extremists. There was an Al-Qaeda attack, probably the first Al-Qaeda attack after 9-11, which took place in April 2002. And this was an attack on a synagogue in El Griba, in which a suicide bomber killed 19, 19 mostly tourists, actually. I believe most of them were Germans. In 2015, there was an attack in March in the Bardo National Museum that killed 22 people. Three months later, there was an attack on a beach, a resort, uh, favorited by UK tourists called Sus, and that killed 38 people, again, mostly British sun worshippers. There was an attack by a suicide bomber on a presidential guard in November 2015, in which 13 were killed. As of this month, the Tunisian army claims that uh, the terrorists are, quote-unquote, holed up near the Algerian border and can't organize anything. What did I say about Mozambique a few minutes ago? I'm not sure I trust the Tunisian military on this. One more thing about Tunisia, which is fascinating, which you may not know. I was there a few years ago at a conference, and I was talking to a local about, um, was it talking about the foreign fighter issue, those that joined ISIS and other terrorist groups, and were seeking to come home. What most people don't realize is that ISIS attracted people from over 100 countries around the world, including my own, Canada. But one of the single greatest contributors of ISIS fighters was Tunisia. So this beacon of democracy on the Mediterranean was actually a major source for ISIS terrorists. I've heard numbers as high as 6,000. But what this gentleman told me in Tunis a few years ago was even scarier, and that is that there may have been 6,000 Tunisians who left to go fight for ISIS. I mean, they're probably most of them are dead, some want to come home, some are in jail, etc. The Tunisian government prevented 22,000 from going. So you have 22,000 people who really wanted to go fight for ISIS and were told they couldn't. So where does that leave them? Check a box and they move on with their lives? Or are they just really pissed off jihadis that couldn't fulfill their so-called destiny? Watch this space in terms of where Tunisia is going to end up. Algeria is an interesting case. Uh, you know, you go back to the 90s when the 1992 election was cancelled when an Islamist party was showing all signs of, of victory and the military took over, then you had the dark decade in which hundreds of thousands were killed, both by the military and by a terrorist group 
known as the GIA, which was usually the GIA, the Group Islamique Armé, which kind of morphed into the Group de Salafis pour le Prédication et le Combat, the GSPC. You don't hear a lot coming out of Algeria these days. Uh, I occasionally see stories about army sort of mopping up operations in the mountains against terrorists, but Algeria seems to have dodged a bit of a bullet lately, uh, at least based on my information sources. If you have different sources, please send them to me. But it's not one that I, I worry a great deal about these days. Next door in Morocco, is it's even a better story. Uh, attacks are actually a few and far between in Morocco. There was a big attack back in, 20, in 2003 in May. That was an Al-Qaeda attack in Casablanca, where suicide bombers killed 41 and injured 100. There hasn't been anything near that scale since that time. I do read periodically where the Moroccans are finding ISIS fighters or ISIS terrorists. You get a lot of cooperation between Morocco and Spanish intelligence and law enforcement authorities because of the back and forth traffic between the two countries. But again, Morocco is not something that I would put on the top of my list in terms of the terrorist threat. It's there, but it seems to be a little bit minimal. Which brings us to the Sahel. You've probably heard the term. It's a swath of territory that covers parts of Mauritania, Mali, Chad, Central African Republic, and Burkina Faso. And the bad news story is that uh, both Islamic State and Al-Qaeda uh, are active in the area. There's a group known as Akim, Al-Qaeda in Islamic Maghreb. They've been around for quite some time. Uh, there is a, another Al-Qaeda group called Jamaat Nasr al-Islam al-Muslimin, or JNIM. And there's an Islamic State province called Islamic State in the Greater Sahara. And there have been attacks in all of these countries on a regular basis over the past couple of years. I was in Mali a couple of years ago to do some training, and um, I was in Bamako, which is an extreme south part of the country. I didn't really feel unsafe, but anything north of that was a no-go area. And you regularly hear of attacks by a variety of terrorist groups in Mali, as you do in Central African Republic and Burkina Faso as well. Uh, Burkina Faso is interesting because there was a significant attack at a hotel in January 2016 in which six Canadians, I think they were all Quebecers, uh, died. And that attack was carried out by Akeem. The other interesting part about the Sahel is efforts by the French military under an operation called Barhan to basically hunt down terrorists and kill them. Uh, the French have been there for decades, actually a long time, French presence in West Africa. It's a largely Francophone part uh, of the continent. When I was in Mali, we, 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 we were speaking French to our counterparts. Uh, Canada had a role in that operation as well. But it doesn't seem that the French operation is showing either any signs of success. And by success, I mean completely eradicating the terrorist threat, which leads to the perennial question as to how long do you remain in theater? Are you making their situation better or worse? And I, and I don't have to answer that question. I'll simply go back to what I said earlier about um, you know what's happening in in Somalia with Amazon and military occupations rarely end up being a good thing. So I don't see any stability coming to the Sahel anytime soon for the simple reason that it's a, it's a very poor area and there are gazillions of terrorists running around doing stuff. Uh, moving on to Nigeria, I'm almost done here. 
Nigeria has been beset by terrorism by a group called Boko Haram since the late 2000s. I regularly read about attacks by Boko Haram. They're strongholded in the northeast in Borno State. They, of course, were behind the the infamous capture of the Shibok girls, where they captured several hundred schoolgirls. I used them as cooks or slaves or sex slaves or whatever. They regularly attacked the Nigerian army. They regularly attacked villages where they kill people. And uh, recently, they've been sort of expanding their territory a bit. They've gone to neighboring Benin, where one or two attacks have taken place. And they've been quite active in northern Cameroon. I'll get back to Cameroon in a few minutes. But they have carried out attacks in Cameroon as well. Uh, The latest attack I just read about this morning, uh, five Nigerian soldiers were killed in, in Borno State. What's interesting about Nigeria is that every Christmas, the Nigerian president, whomever he is, now it's President Buhari, gives a speech in which he says, Boko Haram is on the run. Boko Haram, we've almost got there. They're almost dead. And he promises an end to the war uh, against terrorism uh, very soon. And every Christmas, he's wrong. Every Christmas, you see more attacks. And then you forget about the speech and he makes the same speech a year later. In actual fact, uh, there's almost a recognition now that the jihadist groups are expanding to the Northwest. And and what, what some people fear is that they will become a land bridge for Islamists across the Sahel. So this is the International Crisis Group that came up with this just the other day. This would be a bad development whereby terrorism in, in Nigeria serves to link up other terrorist groups and serve as kind of like a superhighway across the greater part of Western Africa. I see no reason to think that terrorism in Nigeria is going to end anytime soon. Finally, in Cameroon, there's been an ongoing civil war between the Anglophone areas in northwestern and southwestern Cameroon. About 20% of the population are Anglophone and the Francophone government in Yaoundé, which is a largely Francophone area. I was in Cameroon just recently, and the division between Anglophone and Francophone is quite stark. As I mentioned, you've had Boko Haram attacks. I don't think that the conflict between the Anglophone... So, so there's Anglophone separatist groups that want to create an independent nation they'll call Amazonia in that part of Cameroon. I don't call that terrorism. I think that's more of a, of a civil war, per se. It's Boko Haram I'd be more worried about. Finally, I do want to point out that there were two attacks in Africa, uh, both in 2013, which were carried out by Canadians, or at least in part by Canadians. In January of that year, two Canadians uh, from my hometown, Christos Casarubis and Ali Medlej, traveled to northwestern Africa, ended up joining Akim, Al-Qaeda Islamic Maghreb, and took part in an attack on an Algerian gas plant called Inaminas, in which 40 people were killed, mostly, if memory serves me correct, Norwegian and Japanese oil workers. A few months later in April, Mahadori from Toronto had traveled to uh, Somalia to join Al-Shabaab, and he took part in an attack in which 19 people were killed. This, of course, is not a good development where Canadians are traveling outside of our land to join terrorist groups and kill innocent people, something that the security service and law enforcement are constantly having to take a keep an eye out for to prevent Canadians from traveling to those areas. I want to end this podcast by by looking at another question, and that question is, is this really religious terrorism or is it more ethno-nationalist terrorism? In my mind, there's no question. This is religious terrorism. These groups sing from the same hymn book, if terrorists were allowed to sing, uh, as Al-Qaeda and Islamic State. In fact, as I've pointed out, 
There are an awful lot of groups in the region that affiliate with either Al-Qaeda or Islamic State, either as franchises or inspired or whatever. You read their propaganda, you look at their videos, you read their claims of responsibility. It is rife with religious terminology. So this definitely indeed is religious terrorism. This is Islamist extremist terrorism. As I pointed out, there's other forms of violence in the continent, the herder versus farmer clashes in Nigeria, what's happening in the DRC. That is not terrorism. That is ethno, uh, that's an actual ethnic conflict. But it certainly are examples of ethnic terrorism. I just don't think that the vast majority of what's happening in Africa is ethno-nationalist. I do think it's squarely in the realm of religious terrorism. And to end on a bad note or on a pessimistic note, I don't see any reason to think this this religious terrorism is going away anytime soon. A lot of these countries are very poor, with poor infrastructure. They don't have the wherewithal to stop terrorism. They don't have the wherewithal to create the socioeconomic conditions that bleed away from terrorism. So my pessimistic prediction is that we're going to be talking about terrorism in Africa for the foreseeable future. COVID or no COVID. I think that's an irrelevant factor right now. This, This phenomenon going on for decades it'll go on for decades more i hope i'm wrong i don't think i am that's it for this intelligent look at terrorism looking at terrorism in africa i'd like to know what you think have you any experiences in africa either as a diplomat as a traveler as a consultant as a part of the military i'd love to hear your experiences with terrorism in the continent of africa you can reach me on email at gmail.com or on twitter at borealisaves you can also reach me on linkedin or on Facebook. If you want to get all the content available from Borealis, simply go to my webpage, www.borealisrecommends.com. Hit the subscribe button, you'll find it there in the upper right-hand corner. Fill in your information, and you'll get a daily digest every morning of the Today in Terrorism series, podcasts such as this one, the Intelligent Look at Terrorism, the Quick Hits podcasts, the perspectives, all the material free to charge on a daily basis. I'll talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe.